0: Well, welcome, everybody, to Downtown Harbor Church. My name is John, and I'm the lead pastor. Really happy you guys came out, nice and chilly this morning, because that's kind of exciting for us Floridians. You kind of put a coat on for once. So um, today, we are kicking off a brand new series, as Christina mentioned, that we were calling God's Honest Truth, where for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be taking a look at these moments in time, in our lives, and sort of throughout time, that God kind of steps in and reveals his truth to us. And he reveals a truth about himself and sort of who he is. He reveals his truth about the world. And and many times what he does through showing us the God's honest truth is sort of pinpoint particular issues that we might be dealing with in our own lives. And the question that we're going to really wrestle with all series long is, what are we going to do when we hear the God's honest truth? Because one of the things that I've sort of come to realize, I don't know if you're going to agree or disagree with this, but I I have come to the conclusion that humans struggle with truth. I just think we do. I mean, I think probably nobody would even argue with that. I mean, we, we struggle with truth in, in a myriad of ways. Um, I think Americans are sort of conditioned to almost look at this statement here and and just mm, want to throw quotes around truth. and kind of say, hmm. Whose truth? Your truth, come on, right? Your truth or my truth? I mean, really, what is truth? Now, I don't know what happened, you know, whether it's in the last several years, last several decades, whatever the case may be, it just seems like truth is no longer universal. Gone are the days when truth is sort of black and white. Now truth is personal. And you'll hear folks say, well, I'm just sharing you know, my truth, whatever that even means. Because based on our life experiences, where we grew up, how we grew up, based on our home life, family life, based on our education, based on our political affiliation, various factors, we begin to sort of form our own custom-tailored personal version of truth. And it's sort of through that personal truth that we view ourselves, view other people, and begin to view the world around us. Now, I think a personal truth is fine, you know, when it comes to politics, right? I think it's fine even when it comes to economics, but where a personal truth, if you will, starts to become problematic is when our personal truth begins to bleed into and inform our spiritual life. Now, one of the things that scripture says is that um, we are created in God's image. But when our personal truth starts to inform our spiritual life or starts to bleed into our spiritual life, the result is that we start to create God in our image. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, which we usually are not, but if we today want to be honest with ourselves, I think we all have at some form or fashion, at some level, have created our own sort of personal version of God right? You know, we believe this about God, but we don't believe that about God. We did read that one verse in the Bible, but we're going to pretend like we didn't see that one verse in the Bible. And so we sort of create a version of God that creates our own personal truth. Some of us, you know, some of us may have created a God of only love, right? There's no sin. There's really no standards. You know, you be you, you be happy, and you're all good. I think there are some people that have created a God of only law, where everything's a sin. I mean, except for what I do, but whatever you do, that's a sin. According to scripture, God is a God of love, but he's more than that. According to scripture, God is a God of law, but he's more than that. And and what starts to happen is that when we begin to create God in our own image, according to our own personal truths, we start to distort who God really is that's a problem. Because with every distortion of God, there's a corresponding consequence. With every mistruth, self-truth, half-truth, misconception that we cling to, that we hold to, that we believe about God, or perhaps even fear about God, there is a corresponding consequence in our lives. For example, if you are someone who believes If you are someone who holds to be true that anytime anything bad happens to you, that's God punishing you. Well, the corresponding consequence is that you'll never trust your heavenly father. I mean, if you are someone who believes that your, let's call it religious rituals, right? Uh, Stand up, sit down, pray this, sing this, read this, do this, do that, that your religious rituals are going to kind of keep God at bay. If the only thing he can do is bless you. He looks down and he goes, Well, you know, John did his thing, so there you go. If that's the way that you feel, the corresponding consequence is that you'll never find a, a personal relationship with God. If, if, if you believe that you need to understand everything about God before you can trust God, that you got to, there can't be any doubts. There can't be any mysteries. You got to have all your questions, answers, all your doubts, you know, blown away. You got to cross all your T's. You got to dot all your I's. And until then, and only then, you can trust God. Well, The corresponding consequence is that you'll never find faith. And if you are somebody, and unfortunately, this is many people, but if you are somebody who believes that you have done something in your life that is just so bad that God could never and will never forgive you. And the corresponding consequence is that you won't find peace. With every distortion of God, there is a corresponding consequence. And the reality is that all of us are holding on to some truth about God that isn't a truth about God. And it's preventing us from becoming the person that God wants us to be. And it's preventing us from having a deeper relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ stepped onto the scene, one of the main reasons that he came was to explain God to us. He wanted to show us the God's honest truth. He was gonna expose us to who God is, the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, you know, the truth about the world. He was gonna shine a light into our lives and he was going to challenge our misconceptions, our half-truths, our self-truths, perhaps even our personal truths. But the thing that you perhaps already know about the God's honest truth is that it can make us uncomfortable. It can absolutely challenge the way that we view the world. And more importantly, it can challenge the way that we want to see the world. But the God's honest truth, if we let it, can absolutely 100% change our lives. In John chapter eight, Jesus says something that will go on to be sort of our uh, guiding principle, if you will, for the rest of the series. He says this, if you hold, now depending on what translation of scripture you're using, your Bible might say, if you abide, if you remain, if you pause, but if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. What he's saying is that, guys, look, even though my teaching Even though the God's honest truth might make you uncomfortable, even though it might be difficult to understand at times, even though it might seem impractical, even though it might seem unattainable, even though it might appear to be countercultural or even politically incorrect at times, if you will hold, if you will pause, if you will remain, if you let it wash over you, if you allow it to Penetrate your heart, then, meaning after you pause, after you let the God's honest truth penetrate your heart, as different as it may be from your truth, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Will set you free from what? From your misconceptions? from the bondage of your own personal truth. It will set you free to become the person that God has called you to be. It will set you free to have an authentic relationship with your heavenly father, perhaps for the very first time in your life. And so what we're gonna do in this series, we're gonna be examining these moments in time when Jesus exposes individuals to the God's honest truth. And those people, as we see, those folks who had the courage, because it takes courage, the courage to embrace the God's honest truth, well, their lives were changed forever. They were able to see firsthand that the God's honest truth can absolutely set you free. So as we kick off this series, I want to spotlight a conversation today where Jesus shares a truth that many of us kind of wrestle with. And this truth that he's going to share with this man today absolutely rocked his world, challenged the way that he saw the world, God. I mean, it was just a complete game changer for this guy. So we're going to be in John chapter three, and we're going to start in verses one. So it starts off like this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. All right, so let's just pause right here because we learn a couple of things that are important to know as we hear this story. So right off the bat, within the first, what is it, five words, John lets us know that we're dealing with a man today who is a Pharisee, okay? Now, often as Christians, particularly as evangelical Christians in America, we have sort of been preconditioned to to believe that every time you hear a Pharisee, you think this is a bad man because Jesus had a lot of run-ins with Pharisees, and generally speaking, they were not good. But this particular Pharisee, Nicodemus, he's a good man. He's a very good guy. This is not a bad guy, all right? Now, we've learned a lot about Pharisees this fall. If you were here during our Paul series, Paul told us that before he became a Christian, he was a Pharisee. And he let us know that Pharisees believed, right? This is important. Pharisees believed that they were made right with God by doing good things and being related to the right people. Meaning, if they obeyed the law of Moses, ate this food, didn't eat this food, wore these clothes, didn't wear these clothes, did this, didn't do that. If they did good things and they were related to the right people, meaning that they were pure-blooded Jews. My mama was a Jew, my daddy was a Jew, my great-granddaddy was a Jew, all the way back to Abraham, then you and God are good. That's who we're dealing with today. File that away. He, it says, speaking of Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which is a tremendous term of respect that means teacher. Effectively, you know, Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, look, I've been watching you. I've been listening to you. I've been seeing what you've been doing. I've been hearing what you've been teaching. And and it is obvious to me that you are deserving of the honor of the title rabbi he says rabbi we know we believe we hold as true that you are a teacher who has come from god for no one could perform the signs you are doing if god were not with him here's why this is so important nicodemus right here is where so many of us are today. Nicodemus is where so many folks in America are today, and he's where so many folks in the world are today. Nicodemus knows, he believes, that Jesus is a teacher, that Jesus is a great man, that Jesus even comes from God. This is what he says that he knows about Jesus. And I think if you were to go to the average American and just go, hey, you know, who's Jesus? I think they would go, well, you know, he uh, was a great teacher, great great leader, probably a, you know, a prophet, you know. But notice what Nicodemus doesn't say. He doesn't say that Jesus was divine. He doesn't say that Jesus was God. And he doesn't say that Jesus is the Messiah. He's a great teacher. Now, out of nowhere, Jesus does something that he does all throughout the Gospels many times, and when he does it, he freaks the people out. All of a sudden, he reads Nicodemus' mind, and he speaks to an issue. He speaks to a question that folks were thinking about but never asked, and they always freaked out when he did it, and he does it here. All of a sudden, Jesus replies to nothing. I tell you the truth. Buckle up, Nicodemus, okay? It's about to get bright in here. I'm about to shine God's honest truth into your light. Okay, buckle up. You're about to get uncomfortable, Nicodemus. I'm about to push you out of your comfort zone, Nicodemus. I'm about to challenge everything that you ever thought that you knew, Nicodemus. I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. what? What'd you just say? Yeah. I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus has said nothing other than, hey, but Jesus could see his heart. He could see that this Pharisee was a good man, a real good man but he was somebody who was holding on to a truth that wasn't a truth. Jesus could see that Nicodemus was coming to him not to learn anything new, but to add and to confirm what he already thought he knew. And nothing prepared Nicodemus for when Jesus says, if you want to go to heaven, you must be born again. Now, this is the first time I would say in the world, but at least in scripture, that this phrase born again is used. As Americans, we're we're familiar with this term. We've heard this term a lot. Now, what's so interesting about the term born again, at least in America, is it has, if we're being honest, a negative connotation. We agree on that? And it's sort of, when we sort of hear it used in culture, it's like, well, you got Christians, and you got those born agains, okay? And, And it's sort of like, these are the normal people And then the born-agains, well, they're the right-wing extremists, okay? They're the ones who were crazy, then they met Jesus, now they're out there with signs handing out tracts. That's kind of how we, unfortunately, think about the term born-again Christian. We're familiar with the term. Our definition is wildly different (laughs) than the way that Jesus used the term, but nonetheless, we've heard it before. But Nicodemus has never heard this term born-again before. And so he asks, "Uh, what do you mean? Um, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? That can't happen, can it, right? It's kind of like, I don't want to think about it too much. And Jesus sort of sees the confusion here and he just keeps on going. He says, very truly, there it is again, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter. Before I said, see, now I'm ramping it up. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water, And the Spirit. Jesus says humans, well, they can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Nicodemus, you, come on, Nicodemus, you should not be surprised. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. I think he's actually, you know, jabbing Nicodemus a little bit here. He goes, you think you know everything, right? Then you shouldn't be surprised when I say that you need to be born again. I think what Jesus is kind of pointing out here in a subtle way is that Nicodemus, you don't know what you don't know. I mean, you, you, you think you've got God all figured out. You think you've got heaven all figured out, but you are holding on to a truth that's not a truth. Nicodemus, you're a Pharisee, which means you're a scholar of the scripture. So you should know that birth alone it's not going to gain you entrance into heaven. Something else is needed. That offended Nicodemus. That went against everything that he knew to be true. See, because Jesus in that moment, when he's exposing Nicodemus to the God's honest truth, what he was doing right here is he was blowing the lid off what I call salvation, by association. See, Nicodemus and the Jewish people at this time, they believed that if you were related to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, if you were related to him, you and God were good. All that's left is just being good and you're all set. But now you got Jesus, who is Jewish, saying, being born to the right people, that's not enough. And this is so important for us to grasp because many people view their religion as they do their nationality. For example, I was born in America, born in New Jersey. Don't hold it against me. All right. I was born in America, which makes me an American. Now, often we kind of think, well, because I was born to, you know, Christian parents, that makes me a Christian. Well, according to this account, Jesus would say, mm, not so fast. Not exactly. Not necessarily. You see, the God's honest truth in this scenario makes us realize that maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, we might be relying on our parents' faith to make us right with God. M- maybe we call ourselves Christians because our parents were Christians, but. You know, we don't go to church. We don't pray. I can't really remember the last time I prayed and I certainly don't read the Bible. But when someone asks, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, you know, grew up, you know, Methodist, grew up Baptist, grew, grew up Catholic. To the truth that Jesus was confronting Nicodemus about is the same truth that he confronts us, which is salvation doesn't come by association. Jesus is saying, "You must be born again." Yeah, yeah, your first birth to, you know, to Christian parents, if you will, or, or to Jewish parents, that's great. Phenomenal, right? Glad to have, you know, glad they had you baptized as a baby to show the world their faith in God. But if you want to be a follower of mine," he would say, "if you want to see and enter the kingdom of heaven, then you have to make it personal. You got to make a decision on your own for yourself to follow Jesus Christ. To not just see him as a great man, to not just see him as a great teacher, but to see him as your Lord and Savior. Now, the amazing part of this encounter is that Nicodemus, a Pharisee, he hears this and he doesn't turn away. He doesn't block his ears off and close his eyes and stick his head in the sand. He does something that I hope maybe some of you will do today. He holds. He pauses. He lowers his preconceived notions for just a minute. And he lets the God's honest truth penetrate his heart. And he realizes that maybe there are some things that he doesn't know. That maybe there's a chance he was wrong about God. And so he asks Jesus, how can this be? I mean, everything you're saying, Jesus, clashes with everything that I've ever known. Everything that I've ever been taught and everything that I have taught. I mean, Jesus, I've always known in my heart, believed to be true, that if you're born to the right people and you do good things and you get into heaven, but Jesus, you're, you're teaching something that is entirely different. It's something that is brand new, so... I'm listening, I wanna know more. Then Jesus does Nicodemus a favor and starts to talk about things that he does know, things that he is familiar with, the Old Testament. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Nicodemus goes, oh, I know this, Jesus. I know what you're talking about. You're you're referencing the time when, when, when God freed the Jews from Egypt and then they wandered the desert for 40 years. And one time a plague of snakes came into camp and those snakes were biting the Jews and they were getting sick and many of them were dying. And then God said to Moses, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to create a replica snake. And I want you to nail that snake to a pole. And I want you to lift that snake up. And anyone who looks upon that snake nailed to that pole will be saved from death. And Jesus says, yeah, that's the story I'm talking about. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, that's me. So the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then John, who is the author of this particular gospel, he breaks the fourth wall. All of a sudden he steps into the scene and he talks directly to the audience because he wants to make sure that you and I don't miss what Jesus just shared here that night with Nicodemus. And he writes what amounts to being perhaps, arguably, the most famous line in all of scripture, perhaps one of the greatest lines in all of literature, John 3.16. Summing up Jesus' teaching, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, not whoever does the most good works, not whoever's a really good person, Not who, you know, has been born into the right family. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What an amazing encounter. What an amazing encounter. And I love that John, as he just writes this for us, he just leaves it as a cliffhanger. It just ends. What is going to happen? What is Nicodemus going to do with the God's honest truth that Jesus just showed him? What is this guy who always believed that the way to heaven is to do good deeds and be born to the right people? How's he going to respond? Will he embrace it or will he go back to what he's already known? Because that's more comfortable and that's perhaps easier for him to understand. Three years later, three years later, jesus would be betrayed he would be arrested and he would be crucified the son of man was finally lifted up as predicted that night and as jesus hung dead on that cross one of his followers a man named joseph of arimathea went to pilate who was the ruler in that area went to pilate and said would you allow me to take down the body of jesus so that I can bury it. But Joseph couldn't do this alone. So he brings a helper with him. He brings another believer with him. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. There's our answer. Jesus presented Nicodemus with the God's honest truth that challenged everything that he thought he knew, and it made him uncomfortable and it made him question, and it made him reprioritize his life, but he exchanged his truth for the God's honest truth, and it set him free. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I have to believe, I have to believe that there are some of you here today or watching online or perhaps even listening to the podcast in the upcoming week that are, I think you guys might be exactly where Nicodemus was. You know, perhaps you thought you had God figured out, that you thought you had this heaven thing On luck. And then you got Jesus coming in, dropping this bomb in your lap, and it completely turns the tables on what we thought we knew. If that's you, this week, what I would love for you to do, I, I would just, would you just consider today's truth? I'm not telling you to believe it. I'm just asking if you would consider it. Would you be willing to to Hold, just a pause. Would you be willing for just a moment, not forever, but just a moment to lay down your preconceived notions about heaven? And would you let the God's honest truth penetrate your heart? Because if what Jesus says is true, and I believe it is, and I know many people in this church believe it to be true, If what he says is true, then then getting right with God has nothing to do with your good works. It's got nothing to do with being a good person. It's got nothing to do with being born to the right people. It has everything to do with your faith in Jesus Christ alone. And for me, that's a relief. And there's one more thing. On your way in, you should have received a note card. If you didn't get one of these, we've got a stack by the coffee table. You can grab one on your way out. So all week long, I was just thinking about how do we make this series, not just today, but how do we make this series more impactful for you guys, more beneficial for you guys? And so here's, here's what I want you to do, if you would. When you have time, when you're on your own, when you're by yourself, if you're married, get away from your spouse. If you've got kids, good luck. Okay. But when you're by yourself, Using this card, I want you to write down which of God's truths is a struggle for you. This is going to be intensely personal for you guys. I mean, it really, really will. But I think this is a tremendous opportunity for self-growth and for spiritual growth. Is there something that scripture says is true? But when you read it or when you hear it or someone tells you about it, your only reaction is to ignore it. Is there something that scripture says is true and your only reaction is to say, well, I don't agree with that truth. I don't want to believe that that's true. So I'll just operate as though it's not. Maybe for you, are there are there. Issues, shall we say, in your life, things that are going on that God, and you know it, that God has really called you to change. He's challenged you about these things that are going on, whatever they might be. But rather than listen to him, you have just created your own version of God, who allows you to just keep doing whatever it is that you want to do. Write it down. I dare you. Don't hold back. And then this week, would you pray, God? I'm willing to listen. Not say I'm going to change, but I'm willing to listen. As uncomfortable as it might make me feel, as much as it may challenge me, as much as it might make me have to reprioritize my life, I'm I'm willing to listen because I want the the real version of you in my life. And each week, would you bring this with you? Throw in your Bible, throw in your purse, fold it up, back pocket. Would you bring it with you each week for the next couple of weeks? And just see, just see if God doesn't begin to work on you during this series. And if at some point you have the courage to embrace the God's honest truth for your life, maybe tear the card up and leave it here on the stage. Maybe fold it up and, and, and place it in the metal box on the way out as an act of worship, in an act of submission. Now, it might be difficult, but if we can begin to exchange our truths for God's honest truth, it will set us free. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could be here today. And Lord, all week long, I've been praying that uh, you would soften our hearts, not just for today, but for this whole series, because I know every single person in the room, because they're human. We struggle. We struggle with truth. It's a problem for us, Lord. But you sent your son not just to die on the cross for us, but to explain who you are, God. And I pray that beginning today, we might have the courage to lay down our preconceived notions about you, to lay down our self-truths, half-truths, mistruths, truths, misconceptions, Lord. And that we might be willing to embrace the God's honest truth as uncomfortable as it might make it. As much as it might make us reprioritize the way that we live. Because if we don't know the whole you, do we really even know you? Be with us, Lord, during the upcoming weeks as we wrestle with your truth. And I pray, God, that we find you. We ask this in your name. Amen.